whether or not we realize it or not, our culture, our background, our upbringing, our childhood, the way we have lived our life up until this point influences how we make choices on a daily basis. Maybe we realize it or not. Maybe it is conscious or not. But those things that we have experienced in our life, they impact the decisions that we make today and tomorrow and going forward. I love when I connect with a business that has used their culture or their family or something in their belief system to influence how they run their business. I love hearing inspiration from stories of generations past that have helped to influence decision making or design or branding or intentionality or even something just as simple as the name of a business. I love how those factors play in to how a business moves forward. And today, my guest took her passion for art and culture and fashion, and a great pair of shoes, and she created something incredible. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Bibi Mare, the founder of Cult of Coquette, a vegan and cruelty-free ethical shoe brand that creates gorgeous designer-like shoes for women. Bibi was so much fun to chat with, and it really was like sitting down chatting with a best girlfriend about life, work, and so much more. But hey, before we dive in, I want to introduce you to my new podcast sponsor. I introduced them last week, and they are back again. And while they are new to sponsoring the show, they are not new to my life or even this podcast, and that is Cultivate What Matters. With an ever-growing list of to-dos, it is so easy to feel overwhelmed and dispassionate by the tasks on your plate. And you're disappointed that you're not spending enough time doing the things you love and caring for the people you love. The ladies at Cultivate What Matters want to press the reset button. They believe your time can be spent intentionally and that your to-do lists can be simplified by uncovering meaningful goals and taking action on them little by little. In doing this, we learn to celebrate progress, not perfection. Cultivate What Matters was created to give you the community, resources, and encouragement to realize that you can make great things, big or small, happen. You can find out more at stillbeingmolly.com slash cultivate, or you can go back to episode 37 of the podcast to hear my interview with my sweet friend, Laura Casey, who is the founder of Cultivate What Matters. Okay, now without further ado, on to my conversation with Bibi. Hey, BB, welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited to chat with you. So when I first learned about Cult of Coquette and saw your story, I was, you're one of those people, like I obviously I love everyone I interview, but you're one of those people that the first time I kind of saw you and saw you telling your story, I was like, I'm pretty sure that she and I would be best friends. And so I like, I've already <laughs> low key started to be building up our friendship in my head. So <laughs> yeah. Okay, then we're on our way to it. I know, <laughs> I know. So I'm just like, I'm low-key like, yeah, Bibi and I are like best friends. We just like, you know. <laughs> when are we having our first bestie sleepover? I know, it's I gonna be, know oh my that. gosh. Oh my gosh, we're going to sit around and we're going to watch Mean Girls and it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> um, well, I am so excited to hear you tell your story and how you got started with Cult of Coquette. So we're going to dive right in and I'm going to have you give us the BB 101. So tell us who you are, what it is you do, and how you got to where you are today. 
So my personal backstory is I was born in L.A. Um, I'm Persian. My parents are both Persian from Iran. And um, when I was eight, we moved to Arizona. Um, my dad is an entrepreneur. He's in real estate, real estate development. And my mom is an artist. So I have kind of the creative <laughs> yeah. and business side, equal parts. They both <laughs> put that on me. Um, and uh, I think I always had, you know, a sense of fashion and dreaming of working for Versace when I was a kid and stuff. So that was always in me. And then I also kind of always was in business. So when I was a kid, I was always selling something on the side of the street and making things and always had a cash register. I was a weird child who was playing with cash registers. <laughs> um, so did I. I wanted to be a cashier so when I was a kid. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so sad now that everything is like iPad-y and like touchscreen, but I used to love the buttons on the cash Me register. Me too. So. <laughs> I love it. So um, I think everybody knew I was going to go into business somehow. So it wasn't it was, I didn't have a period of like trying to figure it out. I knew it was going to be something in fashion and business. So, um, eventually I went to the fashion Institute of technology in New York and I studied fashion merchandising and I lasted about two winters there before <laughs> I had to come back to the heat. And I opened a boutique in Arizona, um, in Tucson, specifically near the university of Arizona. And, um, I was catering, you know, mostly to college students and the girls going out here. There's not a huge social scene here, but that's, you know, the young people are in the college area. So I would bring sort of fun clothes and dresses and heels and all that. And then uh, I did that about eight years and moved back to LA about five years ago. And in 2014, I started what was originally called Coquette. Now we've changed the name to Cult of Coquette. Um, and we are a line of vegan, cruelty-free um, footwear. Uh, currently it's heels, but the next collection is going to have flats and, um, shorter heels as well. Awesome. So that's, that's, pr yeah. <laughs> Shoes were always my favorite thing. So I, I don't think anybody was surprised. I went in that <laughs> yeah. direction. Everybody's like, yeah, we kind of had a feeling baby would do something with shoes. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, if a girl in her twenties has like 150 pairs of shoes, you know, she's probably going to do yeah. something with shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So one of the things that you that I know really inspired you to start this brand is that you felt like the market there was a big market need for vegan and you know cruelty free sh footwear that is also ethically made. And yes. sometimes I feel like there is a conversation that happens in the ethical community where sometimes like a company will be obviously an ethical shoe brand but then they don't necessarily know where their leather is coming from. And right. then on the flip side, a lot of companies will market themselves as vegan and cruelty free so people immediately think that that company is an ethical company but you know while their materials might be vegan and cruelty free the people making them are probably not being treated fairly and so you know on the people side of things they're not ethical so right. you know to find a company that does both um, is a challenge. And so can you talk a little bit about that and that passion um, and why you decided to make that a big part of your brand? Yeah. And, you know, it's not easy. I, I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and, and I think it is hard to, there's so many things and the definition of conscious or ethical is sort of, it's a little loose still. We haven't yes. totally defined it. Yeah. So, 
So it's like what is ethical and conscious and all that to one person may not be to others. It's kind of like food. It's like you see light on the package and you think, oh, well, that automatically means healthy. No, but it could be filled with chemicals. So it's not necessarily good for you. Yes. So, you know, for me, it's just like I'm trying to do as much as I can. And that's a process. We're still a new company. But, you know, first and foremost, of course, is people. I I don't want to be doing anything. I just try to operate with a moral compass, like first and foremost, let me do whatever I can. If it doesn't feel right, I can't do it. It's not, the profit is not that important. You know what I mean? And that, that extends to my customers too. I'm not trying to, I want to make things affordable for them as well. Um, but yeah, first and foremost is the people and women specifically. I really, this, when I did my first collection, when we first started, I was using a different factory this time I took a little bit of time and found a factory that was fully female owned, awesome. which is not, yeah, not easy. And I've tried as much as I can in my business to hire women as well. I just think, you know, I just want to give as many opportunities as I can. And, and I think women working together is really important. And I find it easier, really, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> too. Uh, it's obviously whoever is, is best for the job. But um, if I can, I'd like to um, extend offers to women. Um, and then, and then of course, you know, I I just, because I don't eat meat, I couldn't, I couldn't make a line of shoes that would hurt animals. I mean, I don't even kill bugs. Like (laughs) if I see a roach, the roach is living with me now. Like it's just, (laughs) we're roommates. (laughs) Hopefully I don't see you, but like, I can't deal with it. That's hilarious. So, So yeah, I definitely cannot have a line of shoes that would do anything to harm animals. So even from the, the glue we use on the boxes, there's no, no animal products are used. So, so yeah, this, this round, I I really did focus to find a factory that was female owned and I could tell their company culture was supportive of their employees. Actually the, the factory that I use, they're very involved in their community. They do, um, you know, for kids that have lost their parents, they do things and, you know, they're always posting events that they do and things like that. So it's, it was, I got really lucky and found an incredible factory that kind of accommodates everything that I need, which is not easy because it's already hard enough to just find the right materials, quality materials that are cruelty free. Yeah. yeah. So what did the, the process look like? You know, I'm always fascinated by this and I, I talk to so many different types of entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the, the things that I don't think I've ever really taken the time to dig in with somebody um, is the process of actually starting the brand and getting a product in your hand. So when you had the idea for Cult of Coquette, what were your first steps? Did you just start kind of sketching out shoes that you wanted to design? Did you first source materials? Did you first look for factories? Like what order did that go in? You know, when I first started, I, I don't think I really knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing in the sense of business to some degree because I had had a boutique for so long, but I hadn't made anything myself. Yeah. So it really started because there was a pair of Louboutin heels that I love. They're just kind of their classic pumps. And, you know, they didn't make them in non-leather materials. And I loved those shoes for years and years and years. So I would always look for, you know, the some knockoff version of it from a cheaper store that would just like coincidentally make it out of vegan yeah. materials. And I couldn't find anybody that was wasn't losing kind of the design. I had seen it for so many years. So I really knew like how high the heel was and how thin the heel was. And I'm, I'm a Virgo. So I'm have attention to detail. So I noticed all the little things. about it. Yeah. And for years, nobody made it. And you know, most shoes, somebody makes some version of it. So 
I think I found some company that came kind of close to it, but their ship, they were in Australia. So the shipping was like $50 for each pair of shoes. (laughs) So, so I was like, maybe I should just start my own company Yeah, that, that sort of makes these beautiful shoes that somewhat already exist, but in vegan materials, there's got to be more people like me that are in this boat of like looking for things and, and they can't find it. And a lot of stuff is what I call unintentionally vegan, where they're just doing it to cut costs. They use, yeah. you know, fake leather and stuff just to make it a little cheaper. So I wanted to combine that kind of luxury feel, the box, all that. So really it was surprisingly easy that part because um I had a family friend friend of a family friend that was in the shoe business so they kind of helped me along and helped me find that original factory and really I didn't have a lot of design experience so I just sort of showed them that shoe and then tweaked it a little bit to how I wanted and then you know then they sent the fabrics I just emphasized you know nothing can be have any animal products uh, and it has to be cruelty free so you know that part was actually surprisingly easy. What you would think is the hardest part. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you find a factory that's really helpful and hands-on and they have experience, I think they make that part of the process pretty simple. So, so yeah, it started with just, um, kind of showing them the shoe I wanted and then we would go back and forth with the design process of kind of tweaking it and making changes. And I kind of just do that in Photoshop at that point. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So when you, so you started the company in 2014. Yes. What, how long did it take you before you got like your first samples in your hand? I think originally it probably took maybe less than a month. It was a pretty quick turnaround because it was a pretty simple shoe. And the original collection, I only did 10 colors of the same shoe. So we yeah. didn't have to go through too much as far as, you know, different shoes and changing all that. Um, this around it, it took yeah, about a month this time too, because I had about six styles this time. Yeah, but it was a, pr- a pretty quick process. I mean, I learned a lot really quickly. I I think the worst part was like when you get to like the taxes and the yeah. customs and all those yeah. kind of technical things. Obviously, I think every business owner hates that part. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, what were some of the challenges in those early days? You know, since since some of those early pieces were a little easier for you to figure out than you had originally anticipated. What were some of those challenges that you faced early on that you, you didn't anticipate? Well, in the original collection, um, I didn't take a lot of time with the design of the box. I thought that was going to be like, Oh, I want to hurry up and get it. So I, I just got the boxes and didn't take time to think about the size of the logo and all that. And then Mm -hmm. when they arrived, I was like, Oh, I hate these boxes. Well, I'll just get them redone. And you would be surprised. It is not very easy to find box manufacturers. And I ended up finding it in the U.S. And it it ended up being a lot more expensive than I wanted. But, um, yeah, that was a big (laughs) learning lesson. Like, don't speed through the process. Make sure you've approved everything before you go. You can get really excited to try to get that final product and you skip steps. Um, In this current collection um, that we just finished the pre-sale for, Originally, we were going to do it as an Indiegogo campaign to kind of, you know, build a buzz and a sense of urgency. And I spent months working with um, two other people to get the campaign ready. I I mean, I was working 17 hours a day and I didn't leave my house and there were days I didn't shower. And like, I thought we are so prepared. And then the day it launched, people didn't understand how to order from the Indiegogo campaign. So I had to literally in two hours 
rebuild my entire website, me, myself, because nobody was available to do it in that moment. And I didn't want to lose all the momentum from all the advertising we'd been doing. So I built the website in like three hours and I had to, you know, redirect everybody there. Oh my goodness. there's, There's always surprises, you know? I mean, I think if you've been in business long enough, and if you, if you haven't, you should know that expect the unexpected. It's never the thing that you think is going to be difficult, really. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that is a common, that's another one of those common themes I hear from every single business owner. Like it literally does not matter what product you sell or what type of business you own. Like a lot, nine times out of 10, the thing that you're going to think is going to be the most difficult tends to be easier. And then the thing that you think is going to be like, oh, this is going to be no problem ends up being a giant headache. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's inevitable. It's just like, it, and, and you can be as prepared as possible. It's just, I, I'm sure people who've been in business doing the same thing for years and years have the same stories. You just never know. There's so many moving parts that there's always a surprise. Yes. Well, I have to say, so I am, this is me just having an honest moment. I'm not mm-hmm. a heels girl. I used to be a heels girl, but then yeah. I like straight up, I had kids and I was like, I can't walk in these things anymore. Like, <laughs> I used to love a good pair of stilettos and now I'm like, give me all the flats. But I have to say like, there is something about like I still even though I'm quote unquote not a heels girl anymore like I'll do a wedge or a kind of like a chick a a thick chunky heel or something like that but I still am hanging on to like my blue suede stilettos because I love them so much and I just like there is something about a great pair of heels and a great pair of stilettos that just like you put them on and like they, I mean, they're like some people, like, the power pumps, like you just yeah. feel like you can take on the world. Like you, you feel transform. like yes. that's what shoes do. Yeah. You, you feel like you're Olivia Pope and you got the <laughs> Olivia Pope walk and you are like, you walk into a room and you're like, mm-hmm, I'm here. Like, yeah. <laughs> welcome. And honestly, the, the difference in heel height, I mean, it, like a, a one inch difference can totally make the difference for you too, like a yeah. three and a half inch heel to a four and a half, which is not an easy, I mean, those are heels that I hope you're drinking while you're wearing them because yes. they're not going to be, they're not dancing heels. No. But yeah, no, it makes, yeah, I've noticed that. I, I have a lot of attention to detail and it's just like, I know, I know it's more comfortable to wear the shorter heels and all that. And that's obviously, you know, that's why I'm getting the feedback. Everybody wants the shorter, but yeah, there's something there's about a high heel. Something about them. <laughs> and like I was looking at your at the ones for pre-order before we started recording and like those cheetah print ones. I was just like, yeah. When can I wear these because these are amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to play it safe and I only did one cheetah style at first and in the first 2 weeks there was so much feedback for leopard and cheetah print that I Two weeks in, I added a leopard print one. And, and those have it. been the most popular. I, I wouldn't have expected that. I thought, oh, black and nude is going to be, that's it. You know, everybody's going to get that one. But yeah, nope, cheetah has been the best seller. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's like, it's just such a fun neutral because you really can it wear it like a neutral. Absolutely. It doesn't go out of style. It's just one of those prints that like, if it's done well, if it doesn't look like a cheap kind of print, yeah. you're going to have it forever. It's just like you're saying your blue suede shoes. It's yeah. that, that kind of statement piece in your closet yeah. that can transform any outfit. So it doesn't matter if your size changes, if your weight goes up and down, those shoes are going to fit and it's yeah. going to be the one thing in your go-to in the closet. 
I know this chat with BB is so much fun, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, who is able to help make it possible, and that is Cultivate What Matters. This is something I talk about all the time, and that is pursuing our God-given dreams and goals. You want to be the person you were made to be, but your time, your heart, and energy have just been sucked dry by guilt, distractions, and not knowing where to go next. Enter the Power Sheets. Now, I have personally been a Power Sheets user for over three years, and they have completely transformed how I set goals and grow both personally and professionally. This incredible one-year intentional goal planner from Cultivate What Matters is ready to help you uncover intentional goals and live them out. It's for absolutely anyone. Love at home moms, students, CEOs, entrepreneurs, women in any season of life who need a grace-filled system that works. Thousands, thousands of women all over the world have made their goals happen with the Power Sheets, your day planner's best friend. Are you ready to live on purpose? If you want to finally be the woman you were created to be, free of pressure and the need to be perfect, head over to stillbeingmolly.com slash cultivate now to order your Power Sheets and explore their entire 2019 collection. Now, back to my conversation with Bibi. So I want to talk a little bit about the name. And I know just from, you know, reading your story and um, seeing a little video of you, um, you, the name of Coquette comes from the women in your life that you were inspired by. I'd love for you just to share more about that. Sure. Um, Well, Coquette in French is like a flirty, sexy woman, strong woman. And, um, I've always been drawn to French things. My boutique was named Collage Boutique. So um, something about French culture, there's a lot of French infusion in in Persian culture as well. So um, I'm just inspired. You know, my mom's an artist. Um, My aunts, my grandmother, my grandmother was really glamorous. So there's always been women in my life, um, my mom's best friends, um, that, you know, as long as I can remember, they've been an inspiration, whether it was just their strength. And, you know, if they, they were in business for themselves, my, my grandmother was, she got divorced really young and, um, at a time when that wasn't very common and she, she was a career woman. And, you know, I always knew her as that, like she lived with us for a while. And when she'd tell me stories, she was always, always had red nails and was put together and just, she was just like a strong woman. And that's what I grew up around. And, um, so that's, that's been an influence. So the way I've honored, the women in my life is every shoe, um, that we do, I name after either somebody in my life or a celebrity or a historical figure that's an inspiration to me. And I think that's really important. Like we're in a time where little girls are growing up and they need to have those, those sorts of inspiration. And even if it's something as small as the name of a shoe, it's, it may make them kind of look into who was that person? What's their legacy? And I, I want that infused in my business. So, um, yeah, that's the story behind the names of the shoes. So when you see names there that you don't recognize, it's probably somebody in my life that has had some influence. And I hope to actually start sharing kind of the backstories of each person the shoe is named after. I want to start doing um, Instagram lives and, and kind of share about the shoes. Oh, that would be amazing. I love yeah. hearing stories like that. No, I think it, it it gives a personal touch and it makes you feel um, connected to the brand. And I think that's important. You don't just want to feel like it's like some corporate shadow in yeah. the background. <laughs> you yeah. know? It is important, especially now with, with Instagram stuff. I think that's a beautiful thing about social media is we do get to know personally people who own companies and 
what are their beliefs and do I support that? And do I like them as a person? Do I want to put money in their pocket? Now I want, uh, you know, you, you've talked a lot about the, you know, similarly the importance of integrating um, and, and incorporating uh, bits and pieces of the Persian culture into your brand as well. And just the importance Mm -hmm. of that to you. And, um, and I just love the way you speak about your family and you talk about, um, you know, just how your dad was such a hard worker and, you know, you, You've got sort of that, the practical side where your dad talks a lot about, um, you know, his entrepreneurship and, and real estate development. And then you have um, this creative side and your mom um, with her art. And so how have you, what, you know, maybe subtle or small ways have you taken what your family has taught you and also your Persian culture and in, incorporated them into your brand? Well, I mean, yeah, my dad is a huge, if, my dad is more, I worked with him. He, he kind of took as a child, I was always in his office trying to get his attention. He worked from home. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) as all little girls probably do. And so he really involved me in his business at a young age. He, he, you know, would tell me about his day and what he was doing. And I understood about taxes and things like that at a really young age at a time when other kids, you just ask them, what does your dad do? And they wouldn't even have an answer to that. So it was kind of, (laughs) it was in our house, you know, because he was working in the house. And then, um, when I had my boutique, it was in a building that he owned in the apartment building and there was store space. So we were kind of at work every day. We would kind of bounce ideas off of each other. So he's been a really, you know, into my late twenties, a daily part of my life until I moved really, um, to LA and yeah, he, big part of both who he is as a person and his business is just honesty and a moral compass. So I, I really got that from him. I, he, I always say like, I think he could be so much more successful, but he stopped so much to help other people and wow. help employees. And I'm yeah. like, you know, you can't stop all the time and help everybody who needs something yeah. like you're running an entire business. He's like, I don't want to change who I am. Like this, that's the right thing to do. If that means I don't make as much money or it takes away from my time, I don't, I don't care. So I think I knew that, but until I got into my own business, I realized how much that influenced me as well. You know, I thought I'm not like him. I would never stop business is business, but no, (laughs) you know, it's, it's in there. It's in the, in the DNA of my business too. And then my, my mom, you know, we were just surrounded by art and creativity and, you know, she would force us to do art and make things and, you know, yeah, they really encourage those sorts of things. So it's just, she's very chic. She always dressed up even when we moved to Arizona, which is a much more casual place. Like just Persian culture in general is very like extravagant. Oh, and beautiful. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, women really in our culture, it, the culture is really built on to me, family, parties, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> celebration. I was so. going to say, I was, a friend from college was Persian and I went to their Persian wedding and I was like, this is the most oh amazing thing I've ever seen in my right? life. Yeah, it's I just, beautiful. I went, I haven't been to a ton of weddings in my life, but I just went, I'm, I'm in Arizona now actually um, for, I came for a wedding and I was like, wow, American weddings are really different than Persian yeah, weddings. First yeah. of all, it's a lot longer. We have a lot of like yeah, it's just a whole to it's, do. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Like I was yeah. like, this is amazing. And they had an American wedding because she is Persian and her husband is like from you know Montana. I don't know. Like he's right. like the most. Like it was just so interesting to see the incorporation of. I and I loved it because they had just two very different ceremonies and two very different receptions, but 
It was so cool to see how they each incorporated their yeah. experiences and their cultures into their marriage. And uh, I just thought it was beautiful. But I mean, there was part of me that was like, can I be Persian? Because these dresses are amazing. Re- the makeup yeah. is amazing. I mean, the jewelry is amazing. <laughs> I didn't know what to wear to this wedding because I was like, is this like a Persian wedding where we get really like they wear gowns yes. and stuff? It does. I mean, there's no you don't even ask, you know, it's going to be formal. So I was like, all right, well, it's in Arizona. So I don't think it's going to be like an L.A. Persian wedding. I'm, I'll tone it down a little, but I was still, of course, like the most overdressed. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I love it. I don't, we don't have a middle ground. It's am, just like too much or nothing. <laughs> I am here for it. I love it. I love it. Uh, so what is on the horizon for Cult of Coquette? You just launched the pre-order not that long ago uh, right. for the the second collection. So what's in the you know, what's on the horizon for you? So the, the actual pre-sales already ended. It ended about a week ago. We're already in production. They should be in stock on or before November 11th. And, um, I'm already working on the third collection. So I think within less than a month I'll have, we'll do another pre-sale with the new collection. So we've already got the samples starting to go and picking fabrics and kind of um, cutting down which styles because I have a little too many. I got a little excited. So I'm going to cut that collection down and I, hopefully within three or four weeks, I'll launch another pre-sale. It'll run a little shorter than this last one. This last one ran for almost 40 days. I'll probably only do it for two or three weeks. The, the pre-sale period I do obviously to get a sense of like how much I should order and what's popular and all that. It's a really great time for me to also just get feedback. Like I said, I, I wouldn't have known that the leopard would have been so popular if it wasn't for the pre-sale. I wouldn't you know, like now I know order more leopard, that's going to be a, a popular yeah. one. So it's, it's good. I, it creates uh, a space for me to not get stuck with inventory that's not going to sell and be able to turn around with new styles quicker. And and for me, that's important. I think people's attention span is not very long anymore. So it's like they want to see new things often. And in order to do that, I need to know what's going to sell. So that pre-sale period is sort of um, critical to find out what, what does everybody want or, you know, and I, I also, I got feedback that, like you said, not everybody wants those four and a half inch heels. Like they re- really do want flats and, you know, three inch heels and all that. So there's going to be more of that. Um, so I encourage feedback if anybody's listening that's seen the line or sees the next collection, like even when it's in the pre-sale period, please email us, um, DM us, let me know what you think, what colors you like, what heel heights you like. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Well, I will make sure to have all of the links for how listeners can check that out and leave feedback and all of that in the show notes. So I'll make sure to thank you that. so much. Yeah. Well, now is the time, Bibi, where we transition to just ask a couple fun questions and get to know you a little bit. And not that we don't already know you, but just, you know, ask some fun questions. And it was already fun. So I know, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know how much um, more fun it could be. Okay. <laughs> um, and then this is also the part of the show where my husband, my executive producer, um, he uh-huh. inserts a sound effect of his choosing to transition okay. us to the get to know you round. So, Bibi, are you I'm ready? excited. I'm excited for what it's going to be because I know he does this. The lady at the bank said I was an unattractive candidate for a loan. Where did all my money go? I know I made some. Uh, at 400 bucks a pop, how many of these do you have? 50? Come on. 100? Would that be wrong? 100 times 400. There's your down payment. Well, that's only 4,000. No, it's 40,000. <gasps> I spent $40,000 on shoes and I have no place to live? 
I will literally be the old woman who lived in her shoes. Okay. Uh, the first question is, if you could steal credit for any great piece of art, song, film, book, etc., what would you claim credit for? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that is so hard. <laughs> All those different things. It could be um, any one of those things. Yeah. I don't know. It was, I, 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 I don't want to give you like a specific one. Because there's so many, but I, I do always wish I had some musical talent. So Ooh. something music wise for sure. Yeah. You know, I already, I'm already in the realm of like creative arts. So like, yeah, something music. Sorry. I don't have a specific no. one, but yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I love that. Well, speaking of music, if we were to hook up your recently played list from like Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music or whatever to the mm-hmm. podcast, what would we hear? <laughs> um, you'd probably have to edit everything because I mostly listen to hip hop. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> There's not going to be a lot of child friendly, workplace friendly <laughs> songs. <laughs> you know, to me, like hip hop has always been because from such a young age, I was like, wanted to be in business and had sort of the hustler spirit and that saw that in my dad, it has that energy. It really gets you pumped up in the morning to like, I'm going to take on this day and I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to be the best. And it's just like daily affirmations. It just gets me going. So <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. It's so funny because I actually have a very like wide range of music that I like because I, uh-huh. I grew up outside of DC. And so I have like, you know, I grew up listening to Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac right. and like SWV and Missy Elliott. Like that was what I grew up listening to. But then I also like loved listening to oldies music and like the Beatles. And then and then like in, when I got older, I was like, oh, I actually kind of like country. But then like I listened to literally pretty much everything. And so it's just so funny because sometimes I'll be like one minute listening to like worship music and then the next minute I'm listening to a country <laughs> song. And the next minute I'm like, it's something super ratchet. And I'm like, what is wrong yeah. with me? Like, I don't know. You know, that's it's eclectic. I, I'm the same way. I'm honestly the same way. It'll go from like Biggie to Sting on my playlist. <laughs> like it's a exactly. very, sometimes if my parents are in the car when they're visiting, they're just like, how did we go from like, I'm like, I don't know. But you're supposed to be, you should be open to everything. But that's my sort of the music that gets me pumped up. It's like my musical affirmations exactly. <laughs> that you can do anything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so we know that you love shoes, obviously. But yes. if there is one other product that you could just not live without. It could be a beauty product. It could be an accessory. Like what is the one product other than shoes that you cannot live without? I am... One, I work from home, so robes. Like, I love loungewear in general. It's just, especially the older I get, I just want comfortable things. But I just love beautiful robes because you can wear them as an outfit. You can wear them in the house. You can wear them as a swimsuit cover-up. So I have this, like, weird obsession with, like, kimonos and robes and things that look pretty. Like, my friends actually make fun of it sometimes. (laughs) Like, are you wearing a satin robe and just doing your work? Yes. And I'm also wearing a posture corrector <laughs> while I sit at my desk. <laughs> but I have a beautiful satin robe on over that. <laughs> um, yes, I love it. <laughs> That's I love that it. Persian, the Persian glamour in there, too. The, the glamour. You got it. Yeah, you've got to be glamorous. I love it. There's something about just like 
even if you're lounging around at home, like wearing cute pajamas or like wearing a pretty robe that just like makes you feel less like a sloth and more like, yeah. like, a, like a lady. No, it really, it, it's, it's like you were saying about shoes. It just changes everything. It's, it, you know, if it's comfortable lounge where you still feel good, like, so what you're in the house, you still have to have your outfits your ensembles. So yes. <laughs> you have to be very Mariah Carey in your house, you know, having the robe and darling this and darling that. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. And my last question, this is one that I ask all of my guests is what are you most grateful for today? Oh, that one's easy. My it's cliche, but my family, yeah. um, because I, you know, I, I see how many people, especially at our age, either don't have their parents anymore or they didn't grow up with one parent or, you know, their parents were divorced. And, you know, I just can't imagine like my parents have been together since they were like 17 and they're in love and they're so supportive of everything. And they didn't push me in one direction. And, you know, I can call them anytime I'm really open with them. So I feel like really, really lucky to have the family that I have. I also have a brother that's really awesome. He's in the um, music industry and he's an author. Um, So, yeah, I just, I don't have a really big family, but my immediate family, we're just super duper close. And um, so I'm very lucky to have that. I love it. That's awesome. Well, (laughs) Vivi, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling all about Cult of Coquette and just sharing your heart and your passion for family and shoes. And it was so much fun. (laughs) And we clearly are going to be just BFF. So we are. are. You have to come visit me in LA. (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. All right, Vivi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay, now do you see what I mean about BB being just amazing? She and I clearly need to meet in real life so we can be real life BFFs. But also, I just love her drive and her vision for bringing fashionable, stylish, classic shoes without compromising her beliefs or ethics. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Cultivate What Matters. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash cultivate and take the first step of getting your life back and cultivating what matters in 2019. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This latest review on iTunes from Jimmy Crawdad says, highly engaging and informational podcast. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and it is the best of its kind by far. The host, Molly, is passionate and knowledgeable about ethical businesses, but also comes across as very personable. The community around this podcast is also dynamic and has a great spot to get plugged in. Thank you so much for that review, Jimmy. It really, really does mean the world to me to hear how this podcast is impacting you and what you guys think of it, I would not be here without you. So if you have a moment to head on over to iTunes and leave a review, it would mean so much to me. And don't forget, you can share the show on social media by using the hashtag Business with Purpose podcast or tagging me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. The show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.